Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. And I'm your host, Shelly Prevost. Shelly, it's great to be with you here in downtown Chattanooga for season four. How you doing? I'm cold. I'm good, but man, yeah. I need a jacket. It's, uh, it's turning into fall. Um, and I think our air conditioner is still blasting in our office. Well, I think that's a good thing because usually you're a little too hot. I know. So. Welcome to perimenopause, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, it is great to be with you here. And I remember that our very last episode was on me sharing a big failure story of my own. And I know, I know you've shared some of this before, but not only for our audience who may be tuning in for the first time, but also in the way that you're thinking of your burnout story today. Mm-hmm. Um, let's. I think it's time for you to get a little vulnerable and share with us, you know, Ooh, that vulnerable. experience. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, if anybody knows me well or has listened to our podcast at all, especially as we began, <clears throat> they know this story a little bit, but the story has evolved um, to the point where, you know, before I would talk about um, the experience and kind of going through it and even what I learned from it. Um, and now the kind of this iteration of my quote burnout story, I think it's it's different. It's a different story. It's something I've, um, I'm actually grateful for that experience in my life and where it led me to. So I want to, in light of that, I want to share kind of different pieces of the story. Um, but yeah, I can definitely give the background. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, we are working with individuals and in 2022, we have been working with a lot of businesses and companies that you can really sense that they are going through issues related to burnout. Sometimes it's stress. Sometimes it's just blanket, you know, communication issues. Sometimes it's needing to develop a little bit more trust with each other in an organization. But you can sense that these are the the themes that people are going through. So, you know, and it's what we coach people in. We coach a lot of people in burnout and stress, helping them understand themselves better to be able to grow out of it. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to share a little bit. We, we both are doing this and you're going to share a little bit of your story. Uh, why don't you give us some of the backstory? Yeah. And I want to share this and I want to say that um, I hope that people listening can take nuggets of this and think about their own lives and the context of their burnout. And so these are my lessons. Mm -hmm. This is my story. Um, A lot of which was pain that I had to integrate. And I want you to think about, as I'm sharing this, think about your life and where you are in your story. And your story is still being written. You know, this, this experience happened for me five years ago. And so to tell this piece, this element, this way I'm telling the story took five years. And so um, really reflect on your own story as I share. So I wanted to say that. Um, Good setup. I like that. Yeah. And this was, you know, um, again, those of you that know me know the story. Um, Back in 2014, I started a uh, venture-backed technology company 
and um, we know we were building Wi-Fi routers for parents to help them manage their kids' internet use in their home. And this was so. So this was we had three young kids. We were in the middle of really trying to manage all these devices in this new digital world that we were all kind of thrown into this grand experiment. And I was unnerved by it. We built this company. We raised money. Um, and, and I think we were on, you and I were on the front lines of this. I think generationally, it was the very beginning of having children who were complete digital natives and were like really like the, you can only have a half hour of screen time a day kind of thing yeah. was just naive. That was cute. That was cute. <laughs> we thought that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That. So, and, and our generation of parents were really thrown into this. And so I, you know, I think we're, we're still kind of in this experiment with yes. it. Um, but nonetheless, that was the premise of yeah. the startup. Um, we raised millions of dollars. I was the CEO um, we had an overseas tech company that was building the product for us, uh, software, comp- software developers building the product. So there's so much, you know, here I am, this psychologist, uh, director of happiness, kind of, you know, my, my vibe was much more positive psychology right? Uh, and spiritual growth and development. But yet as a parent, I was experiencing these pain points. And so, and the stakes were high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just personally, but with a big, a big company that you're trying to make grow. Right. Yeah, and we had money in this company. Um, I had. I felt like there was a reputational collateral in this company because um, my partners had put a lot of money, and I wanted them to feel proud of me and believe in my ability to lead this thing. Um, So fast forward you know, several years into building this. And I think we did a lot right and we did a lot wrong. I did things right and I did things wrong. And so Mm. I can look at that now, of course, you know, all these years later and the ways that I um, deluded myself into thinking I was capable of things that really I had no business doing, honestly. Like it was, Hmm. um, you know, I I think about it as a crucible is the way like, you know, that time of my life was a crucible where every day I was going in, (coughs) excuse me, going into an environment where it was just high stress. And I felt like such a, um, a need to perform at this level of leadership and competency and ability that it was really out of my league. And I, I've even told the story of taking, um, we had a whole bunch of routers that we were testing in our office and I took, I would take manuals home and read them trying to understand the vernacular and like the words because I just felt so out of my league. And so, okay. So you were out of your league in terms of some of the tech talk and here you were becoming a hardware tech company. Right. And I think the venture side too, like really learning Mm. how to pitch my company, how to raise money, how to talk about it, um, you know, how to do like performas, like things that I've just, I never did. And so I did learn quickly. Yeah. Um, and I was a, a, I was a good student and I, you know, we, we, um, won all these pitch competitions. And so there's a lot that was working, but ultimately there's, there was a lot that didn't work. And so we ended up, um, things started unraveling, I would say late 2016. Um, and 
you know, it was kind of beginning to feel hopeless, like, okay, this is, this is maybe not going to work. And I just could not (laughs) stop. I could not let it go. I couldn't, um, quit. I just wouldn't quit. And so, yeah, we ended up having to lay off team members. Um, there was a point where it was just me and one other person. We're really trying to work with investors to figure out how to pivot this thing. Um, lots of, um, conversations, uh, really, really hard conversations. And if you've ever, if you've filed bankruptcy, if you've, um, you know, set your startup aside, if you've had to, um, close something down, you know, the, the pain (laughs) that goes with those hard, really hard conversations as you're sunsetting something. It's just really, it's really hard. Well, I think that you're really fast forwarding from sort of the beginning to the very end. Uh, and so you said that a lot, you did a lot of things, right. And so far, I've just heard that you feel like you were a good student uh, and that you were able to um, win some pitch competitions. Well, what else went right? And then what would you say, like, didn't go right that le- that created the conditions for the failure? Mm-hmm. I think what, what else was going right was the vision. Um, mm-hmm. I think there was a real... Um, well, two things, the mission and the, the way that we really felt invested uh, as a team to solve this problem. Mm. Like that was, there was a lot of alignment around that. Um, I think there were, there was some clarity around the vision of like, um, here's the product that makes the most sense and how we want to solve this. But I don't think there was complete alignment, and I think the industry was shifting away from hardware into software. Um, And so we were right there in the middle of that. Um, I think you really, you did, you worked really hard. Right. Oh, yeah. The, you worked real like yeah. you were you were surrounded by we were, men who were working eighty hour weeks. Yeah, and we you were, did that too. Exactly. We were committed. We were yeah. like all all our chips were in. And so um I so I think there was a lot of alignment around that the problem we were solving and how we felt like we needed to solve it. So what didn't okay. what else wasn't working? The main thing was the team, you know, and this is so fun, funny, haha, that this is the work we do now and this is the work I've always really done. Yeah. Is around helping create high performing teams, high functioning individuals that um, operate at this kind of peak performance. And so um, we had a lot of um, friction, a lot of fractures in our team. And um, I, you know, and I think that's when I talk about the crucible, that was what I was coming into every day. And I think the expectation was that I should know how to navigate this. Uh-huh. I've always done this. This is, <clears throat> excuse me, this is what I've helped startups do. Right. And I couldn't. I was too close. Uh, I was too emotionally invested. I got too hooked. I was way too reactive. Uh, um, so I just couldn't. So I'd go in every day and feel the the anxiety of that. Like I should know this, and I can't. I I don't know what to do to solve these people problems on this team. Um, and felt very powerless to that. So I and I think that's one of the the signs of burnout is this feeling of I'm not in control of my destiny. I don't have power in my workplace, um, and I definitely felt 
that didn't, even as the CEO, I did not have power. Okay. Well, so, you know, we talk about some, I think that this was a really necessary failure for you. Easy for us to say now, but do you think that had you really understood the Enneagram the way that you do now, would like the way that you understand yourself as a social too, and had you done some of the, what do you think that things could have been really different or just sort of in some improved communication? How do you think things mm-hmm. might have been able to be better with the perspective that you have now? Mm-hmm. Well, I think if I had had the awareness that I have now, I would have never jumped into this. Like, I just don't think that I would have, like, I needed the experience to get me to where I am now. Sure. To look back and be like, yeah, I don't think I would have done that. And you did. You do. So, yes, of course. I think knowing, I wish I'd known the Enneagram. (laughs) Like, um, you know, to have been able to see myself uh, in my reactivity a little clearer and to have some tools to manage it and to move through it in a healthier way. Um, and you know, you lived this with me. I was kind of all over the place. Like you did not know what you were going to get when I came home. Oh, she, that's, that's is true. Is she going to like yeah. fall apart? Is she going to be mad? Is she going to ball? <laughs> or are you going to like, you know, pridefully say that this is going to take over the world, <laughs> this company? Right. Yeah. So I think I would have, seen myself in my reactivity and I, I probably could have been a little bit more tempered, um, a little bit more measured, um, clear eyed with like, what can I control and what can I not control? And probably I'd like to think a little bit more willing to let go of things that I could not control, Mm. even if it meant even if it meant the early demise of my company, oh, I would, okay. my pride as a social too, my pride would not let this thing die. Like I carried this thing for seven more months by myself because I just wouldn't let it go. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And so I think humility would have been a really nice partner through that whole process. It sounds like control was a big issue for you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it still is, you know, and I think knowing the social too, um, a big part of our operating strategy is control. And we tend to do it with a big smile on our face (laughs) and a warm glow in our eyes, but we're still controlling. Um, We're trying to manipulate the situation or manipulate the group in order to get our needs met. And so now I know what was happening. I can look back and I'm like, okay, there was a lot of of unmet needs. My ego was really calling the shots in that time of my life because it, it feared my dispensability. It feared my lack of importance. It feared my lack of um, belonging. Okay. And so I really was pushing unconsciously myself every single day and living in this stress crucible, thinking at some point I'm going to prove myself. Some point I'm going to get there. Wow. That, that's that right. And I think that what we often see 
is that our ego creates the very conditions that we were trying to avoid. That's right. So could you tell us then, you know, you've dismantled the company and you've had the hard stop of just having to admit this failure. Uh, Tell us about like that experience going to the doctor and some of that. Are you paused? No. So, so, so you're feeling some emotions. It's, um, it's still, it still hurts. What, what do you think your emotions are telling you right now? Oh Lord, you're going to coach me. (laughs) Yeah, I, I know what it is. Okay. Can you give me a Kleenex back there? Thanks. So, and this happens for people that I work with. Yeah. It's this regret. Mm. It's a regret of self-betrayal. failure it is the failure right the failure is what kind of wakes us up to it but wakes us up to what right it's like what is why why is it so hard why was it and obviously you know on some level still is yeah how did you how did you feel that you betrayed yourself it seems sort of incriminating and maybe mm-hmm. pretty critical. You're still wielding a pretty heavy, heavy sword. Yeah, I think it's um, when you just said go to the doctor, when I went to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Like that was a huge wake up call. And I think for a lot of people who get to kind of the, the outer edge of burnout, it is that's the. That's the evidence in your face. They're like, yeah. okay, what are you doing? <laughs> so to have gotten the feedback and like actually go through all the tests and like, you know, this this is what's going on in your body, right? This is like cardiovascular. This is what's happening. Um, your digestion, your inflammation, like all these, and the you know the the level of alcohol consumption that I was um, doing at that point, like just how unhealthy I had become. Right. And, and not, not doing all the self care that we're familiar with doing. And it was a little bit, it was just, just preceding the lead up to the pandemic. And so there was just less, while the crisis was still very much there, it still just wasn't as comfortable to talk about mental health, to talk about anxiety as it has evolved over the past three years or so, even more. Right. Yeah. And I think too, the um, betrayal of my values, like these things that I really thought I really believed Mm. and valued you know, in the pursuit, in the blind pursuit of um, success, 
I just like threw all that out the window. And so friendships kind of were sidelined, you know, starting this company because I wanted to be a good parent basically. And yeah, spent years, you know, not living in the values of being a parent who who was really available and connected. You know, I was just working all the time. And so, um, yeah, so it's like all the things that I gave up in pursuit of kind of my ego's um, fantasy, <laughs> you know, to be some like, I don't know, I don't even know. Like, now I'm like, what was that? I think it was like fame and wealth and uh, needing people to see me as a successful CEO of this tech company. And and yes, yes, in that there was this, I wanted to do good. Absolutely. I wanted to create a product that I really felt would help people. But it it was shrouded in so much more than that. And so that's what the emotion is still about. Um, and obviously I have a different take on that now at the time I was, we just moved to signal mountain and I really, I felt, I I remember consciously thinking I want to hide, like I want to live up here on my mountain. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to like, I just don't want to see, I don't want to go out there and successfully did that for like a year. Like, I really, I was a consultant doing work outside of Chattanooga, so I never really had to go downtown and, like, see people. And um, I needed that season of kind of making sense of, like, what just happened? Um, It wasn't even at that time ready to learn anything. Like, I was still just, you know, like, ah, that sucked. I don't don't really want that, wish that on anybody. Right. Um, And now... mm -hmm. Did you want to ask something? Well, you were taking a hard pivot in certain ways. So you still, you kind of, part of maybe the the experience of it all was you, you went through an anger phase as well, where you were angry at certain, certain parts of the experience and wanted to have nothing to do with it ever again. Yeah. Well, and that's part of, you know, now knowing part of the two also, which is like, um, this, the Enneagram two, the social two, like what we do is, is we... We give so much, Mm. you know, we give so much to other people. And then when we feel like that's not acknowledged, it doesn't work, people don't appreciate me, then we... or And people aren't coming to help you and support you in the same way. supporting me in the same way, then we kind of um, take our support and we go home. And that's literally what I, I did. And I think on some level I was aware that I was doing that. Like, well, y'all didn't help me, so I'm not going to help you. And and it's, it's, it's embarrassing to say that, but it's honest. I mean, I really, I know that I was um, choosing not to engage and talk to certain people because I felt, um, prideful. I felt hurt and didn't really know how to say that. Um, and it felt like they didn't earn the vulnerability or they didn't earn that, that level of intimacy. And so I just really did kind of keep to myself for a year. You, but, and during that time though, you did go through a process where you, you reevaluated, you reexamined, and some of that has held on and is a part of the very foundation for lack of a better word that you use 
when coaching others. Mm -hmm. So could you tell us a little bit about how that process of re-examination happened and what were some of those hard-won insights that you Mm -hmm. had? Yeah, I think the first thing um, was I stabilized. Okay. I, like, yeah. I had to, and that's probably um, took the longest, I think, in, in terms of, like, I had to get out of, a, yeah. of the fry, frying pan. I had to get, literally regulate my nervous, re-regulate my nervous and system. And a lot of people who are deep into burnout that we work with, this is step one. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know... I remember this when, right when things were unraveling and normally, you know, I'd be up and at them, dressed in heels, out the door by, you know, whatever, seven thirty, eight o'clock. And I remember um, taking um, t- the kids to school in my yoga pants. <laughs> and I remember like the fantasy of when I would leave in my heels and my, you know, my dress, my shift dress. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, I just want to be a mom who's taking her kids to school in their yoga pants. Like, I just want that. And I remember, like, after, you know, the torch was no more, um, like, intentionally wearing yoga pants <laughs> for, like, a month. I, yeah. I was like, it was just something very stabilizing about that. Very, like, like I'm, I don't have to get up and put on a, a uniform. I can just wear my yoga pants and take my kids to school and come home and I'm going to sit on the back porch and I'm going to like breathe for a minute. And I mean, it was just like teeny tiny little things that I think were stabilizing. Okay. Um, I started intermittent fasting right around that time. Um, I worked with a physician who was like, take these psyllium husks and eat this for like you know, a few weeks and let you let your body cleanse itself. You don't need to do anything, but just, you know, get rid of some of these, um, the, the things that were causing inflammation for me, which was a lot of alcohol, a lot of just crap. Um, I think stabilizing my sleep, which I think we could have a whole episode on yeah. that. Um, as well as alcohol. We've got huge. plenty to say on that. Yeah. Like these, these very simple things that I just didn't do. And so that stabilizing stage was really important. Okay. And I think where I felt the most relief, because when you get a full like eight hours of sleep, and I think for me a lot, it's nine hours, like you just immediately, like it just starts to reset things. Um, right. A lot of people feel like they're in uh, maybe a depressive you know, a period of time. And really what they just need is some good night's sleep, mm-hmm. right? Sleep, yeah. That is, that is a part of stabilizing. Yeah. So stabilizing was first and then it was analyzing. Okay. Um, and I, you and I talked a lot about this, like the question, how did I get here? Like what the heck just happened? And that was the guiding question. And that's frankly where the Enneagram was re, came to me. It was reintroduced to me. It's mm-hmm. through this, like, wh- how did I let myself get here where I was so dysregulated uh, and had so much, you know, quote, self-betrayal 
Um, and then in learning about my patterns, my core motivations, my core fears, like a picture started to make sense. Like, okay, that's what was going on. Right. And, 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 and acting, your actions not aligning with what you would say your, your values were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this gave you, you're saying that that gave you more insight. Right. And it was, you know, in these, there are periods in our life, in my life, where my ego overrides my values, where my ego takes on a life of its own. And mm. now I know that that's pride. The mm-hmm. main function of my ego comes out in pride. And so... Um, now seeing how that shows up for me at work with you, with the kids, like it's just, it's just changed everything. So I think that tool, and it's why we use it, right? It's why we, we work with clients to really get to the heart of how they see the world and how it causes stress in their lives in many ways. And so that was um, a big piece of this. And then the third big piece of, of this work for me is around um, visualizing. Uh, And this has honestly been the most fun work where I've really gotten into, okay, I don't want to do that again. (laughs) Okay, what do I want? And the whole shifting into looking at my life now and going forward and what do I want to create? And by everything from um, my work, like what fills me up, you know, settling into my role as a coach has been really gratifying, um, even to the point of like, I think a lot of the reasons I'm drawn to startups and entrepreneurial pursuits is the adventure. Mm. And I think, you know, getting in touch with the part of me that wants to travel and like intentionally setting up, um, freedom for us to like travel freedom so we can go and do things and um, have freedom in our lives so that we can go have these experiences. I'm realizing that that's really what I was craving, that adventure, that um, freedom, like that's what's kind of coming out in these entrepreneurial pursuits. And so I'm getting that need met and really thinking about crafting my life around what do I want? What is, what's really important for me? And so I've done the life plan, which is my like 59 page document that you laugh about when I read it. (laughs) Uh, Oh, I didn't know it was that long. It's long. Wow. And you read that every day? Yeah. It does. Um, It aligns me with like, okay, what do I really want? Well, so you've, this is helpful. So you've talked about how you re-examined, you did some personal re-examination. Can you tell us a little bit about when you did some re-examining with your relationship with work or could you, you, you're Mm -hmm. kind of touching on it, I think, but could you tell us what that looked like after you really re-examined it and you, you looked at, looked at your values and how they align with your professional pursuits. Yeah. And this goes back to the social too, as well. So I, the big thing is that I am not my work, you know, I, that like period done end of sentence. Like I, there was, there was, uh, and it's still there, but it's way lessened this part of me that felt like my identity and my worth as a human was wrapped up in what I'm doing for other people through my work. And like really seeing that clearly, like, yeah, I felt like I am my job. My, my, I am my work. And so seeing that and then starting to like 
separate that out, that's been the, the difference. So now it's like, no, I'm not my work. I am um, much more than my work. I'm different from my work. My work is what I do. It's a part of my purpose. Um, it's what I'm gifted at and what I can help people with. But the totality of Shelley is so much bigger than that. And so, um, and again, you know, realizing that that's a lot of the social two patterns. <laughs> That has been helpful. And so I've been able to build my identity in other life buckets. Like what else? There's spiritual pursuits. There's travel pursuits. Um, There's there's health pursuits. Uh, There's there's different aspects. Hobbies, you know, like... Hobbies? You don't have any hobbies, do you? I'm working on that. Um, That one's still a work in progress. But like I just told you, I want to learn hand lettering. Like, yeah, I'm making room. You said for th- when you start practicing the banjo. So I know that that's <laughs> years down the road. Um, well, this is, I mean, okay. So this has been really helpful. And, and uh, you know, I think people are hopefully grateful. I, I am impressed by your your ability to still really be in touch with the way that it felt. And um I think I want to tell everybody, like, we'll we'll revisit or visit some of like what these subtypes and types mean um, for for context. But it is why, like, the Enneagram, we love that there is no perfect system, but it is it has so much potential for depth and for directing the ways that we can improve and grow in our Mm self-awareness that it can give you language and it can give visibility and more awareness to the structure of how we have been functioning without really always realizing it. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of giving some actually language to that. And that is um, really, really appreciated. In, In terms of the context of burnout, of um, how failures teach us. You often share this really simple but powerful quote by the poet Mark Nepo, which is, we're either broken open or we willfully shed. And I like that you, you're telling us a story, I think, that contains the elements of both. Mm-hmm. You were broken open and... Through the process, you were like, I'm, I willingly want to let go of some of these standard operating procedures. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so there was a lot of chaos in your life, personally and professionally. And you began to, as you recentered and reexamined, as you um, began to just sort of stabilize you began to do some reordering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a lot of what we do. I think you, you, you think of, tell us like your concept. You say God sometimes is order is order to you. God mm-hmm. represents order. What, yeah. do, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, okay. So here's, here's where I am now and why I can be grateful for burnout and for failing. Mm-hmm. Five years later, <laughs> just took me a little bit. Um, yeah, I think. Okay, here's here's where I'm going. I think that 
we are being human being, a conscious being, means that we, on some level, our soul has agreed to come into this place and for our own expansion. The universe, the world we live in, is constantly progressing. Like, that's the, the evolution of the world. And yeah, even, literally, the universe is expanding. It is. It is. And we, and we know this from science. Like, there's an expansive kind of growth that moves forward. Mm-hmm. Even when things are retracting or constricting, you know, feels like things are in disorder or moving back, backwards, yeah. there, is, there is still growth. And I think sometimes there's a reordering that has to happen in order for us to p- push through into higher, deeper growth. We see that in nature, you know, all the time. Um, there's a there's the evolution of of species, of plants, of animals, and that there's a retraction that happens in order to kind of move into the next phase of development. I think why burnout's happening right now for so many people, and I think why it happened for me, yes, is because there is a necessary reordering uh. that's happening out of the chaos. And so, and so, here's what I mean by that. I think that you know, I, I think God is a lot of things. God is love. Um, God is source, creator. But I also think God is order. And there is a natural kind of um, order that happens in creation. And so when things are... There's there's a destructive element in nature to creation. Like when a volcano erupts and destroys the forests all around it. Exactly. That's the, there's a reordering that happens through the destruction. Because something is, is dying in order to make room for new life, for a new level of expansion. And so, so I think, you know, the way that I've thought about even the pandemic, it's like, oh, there's a reordering happening, you know, when you saw all the, the clearing of right. the seas and the sky and, you know, people like really reevaluating as they're, you know, forced almost to think about their lives. And when I look back at my Burnout. I think there was a really necessary reordering that had to happen, or was happening. And in that moment, I was doing, you know, as Mark Nepo says, I was breaking open. I was, I didn't want to grow <laughs> or evolve. <laughs> the world was growing and evolving around me, and I wanted to stay the same yes. and use my ego and my pride in many of the same ways I'd always been using it. And that's where my friction was from. That was the tension. That was the um, the chaos, as you say, because things. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't in the natural flow of my own evolution. I wanted to stay using the same tools in the same way and like force and make things happen. And so, of course. There's this friction that comes from that. And I think that's what, for me, that's what the stress was. It was like um, a force or a, a, a control of wanting things to be a certain way. And I think that my own evolution was, was 
going another way. So you wanted things to be a certain way. So you had certain expectations. Right. Um, Could you speak to how expectations may lead us to burnout at times? Yeah. um, And not necessarily just to to burnout, but I see expectations leading us to a lot of our unhappiness. Um, whether there's it's tied to stress or not, I think that we have certain expectations about the ways things should operate or how yeah. we must be in the world um, based on a previous track record of this has served me, this has worked well for me, let's keep doing it. And I think a lot of people come into coaching with us because it's no longer working. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, wait, what happened? And so instead of shifting those expectations to realign with kind of what's what's getting reordered in your life, we keep trying to do the same thing. We keep trying to kind of fit into the same slot. It's like we're, we're working against ourselves. And instead of really examining, okay, maybe these expectations aren't ones that I need to carry with me. Um, maybe I need to reevaluate them. Maybe I need to let them go. Maybe I need to replace them with more realistic expectations. And sometimes the expectations are that everyone else should kind of be doing life and, and the way that I'm doing it. Right. Uh, and without realizing that we're seeing and filtering the world through our own lens, yeah. which is just very completely often different than. The other, so that is one of the reasons that when we coach people and help them to see how, you know, their over identification with a number on the Enneagram you know, is not the only way to see mm-hmm. and experience and do reality. And not only does it help them with insights, it helps them, we'll just say, have grace and understanding for others right. amongst I, you know, other things. Yeah, yeah. And I, you do, I do expect that, expect, assume <laughs> that people yeah. are playing the game of life with the same set of rules that I am. Yeah. And they're not. They're not, and I'm not even playing with the same set of rules because of my own growth and development. Like, if we want to grow as human beings, something, things have to die in us and things have to evolve in us. And when we are working against our own nature in that way, then we are going to create friction and stress and tension and burnout because we are not in flow with our own development. And so, of course, that's why I say burnout is not a work crisis. It's a soul crisis. It is, it is, it's a symptom yes. of a deeper awakening that you are just not on board with. You're, you are resisting. You don't want, you want to keep doing things the same way. And burnout is there to tell you it is not working. You have to <laughs> right. let that go, shed that skin, like, you know, the great C.S. Lewis told us with Aslan, he said, you know, shed the, shed the skin, oh, right. tear the skin off. There's something being born in you and you have to make room for that. So, I mean, right. So I like the way you say it's not a work crisis. It's a soul crisis. Uh, I mean, it is, it shows up at work. 
And for on, some people, on massive levels, yeah. oh, it doesn't just show no, up at I, work. No, I think I we've talked to our son about burnout um, in the the gaming community. Um, I've oh, talked right. with stay at home moms who have a, a level of um, of growing level of, of burnout for them. And I think there's a lot of out of alignment with their soul. So I, w- I would argue it's not just a work okay. phenomenon. Well, I think we do tend to define literally the who definition or whatever defines burnout within the, the structures of work. Of work. Um, but yes, it, it, it is manifesting in a lot of different ways. And actually, one thing that I've been observing is it seems that people are, besides ex- mismanaged expectations, people are often burning out when they care, the, the very professions in which they care. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Clergy are burning out. Teachers are burning out. Healthcare pr- professions yep. are burning out. Um, and sometimes the expectations of these people people, uh, we're putting more and more expectations and stress on them mm-hmm. amongst other things. And they're putting it on themselves. Mm. And mm-hmm. so the system can't hold when we have a belief that it's our job to prop it up. Um, and I think a lot of people that are drawn to these professions care deeply, of course, that's why they're, they do the work they do. But I think it's also comes with, um, you know, maybe goes back to some of that self-delusion that I should prop the system up, support this, that I must, I, I can do it. And so I think when we meet these Systems, the structures that are so debilitating, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. yet we're unwilling or unable to see the reality of that. And we keep, you know, to my point of the crucible, we go into that crucible every single day, um, and we don't, we dismiss the the reordering right. that this is trying to do in our lives, then and we stay in a sick system. That's well that you're getting to something that I think is really important before we wrap up this conversation. And that is, you know, you can with great expectations mm-hmm. uh you know do a lot of self work. Uh you can Really, you can see burnout perhaps coming. You can ex- be experiencing it. Do everything you can. But if you are in any kind of a toxic situation, of which there are many, many manifestations of this, and all across all of these industries, they have their own flavors, then you can't always escape. Except for like massive reorderings. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I think this is what we're talking about, right? It's like reorderings happening on a macro level. Yeah. A societal level. Yes. Spawned by the pandemic um, and a lot of just dis- disequilibrium dis- that's happening in our society right now and a micro level where people really are confronting like what what can I control and what can I not control? And so in like the whole quiet quitting Um, phenomenon that's happening. I think that's really a reordering. I think people are realigning. Um, Their behaviors are um, manifesting as a resistance to sick systems. And um, so I don't love the word quiet quitting. I think it's a realigning that's happening for a lot of people. 
Um, but I yeah. think it's necessary. So it's culturally happening and it's happening for individuals. And that's why I do I do think that like researchers and advocates that are trying to help bring more awareness to the topic of burnout, like people we've had on our podcast, like Jennifer Moss and Paula Davis, they're like, look, this self-care, that, that ain't the answer. You gotta, it's organizational, it's community. And we really do recognize that. Um, and of course, I think everybody understands that it's easier said than done. And we all, it's a collective responsibility. Speaking of like, I think you, you've often taken this idea of in order to reassess, stabilize, analyze, and visualize is we have to take radical responsibility mm-hmm. for our own selves. And I, I really like that idea. And when the organizations that we work with want to do this, they're like, they're trying to envision what is the workplace that I desire to work in yes. and be a part of? Yeah. And, and I think that that helps you as a way through. Yeah. Working with your team, working with your organization. How can we say from leaders down to just maybe even um, a cultural movement from the bottom up, how can we improve ourselves, start with yourself, in order to be able to like re- remove ourselves from toxic or dysfunctional situations. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the idea of radical responsibility is um, based on the biggest shift, I guess the shift for me, the turning point for me in my own process with burnout and all this was mm-hmm. was the point, and I don't, I don't know how, what I read, where I came to this, but it was the point where I decided I'm responsible I decided, like, I'm not responsible what happened, but I am 100% responsible for how I integrate this, move through it, and move forward. Um, And to me, it was this level of radical responsibility that I hadn't known before, Mm. where I wasn't, my default wasn't to blame or discharge. And so, and the reason I, I struggle a little bit with the burnout experts and advocates who want to put it back on the system. Okay. Because of that, like there's always going to be broken systems. There's yes. always going to be, because we're in a, a depraved world. Like we're just, <laughs> that's just what it is, guys. Yeah. Like, so I, I do, and not to, not to um, dismiss the work that organizations need to do. They do. But at the end of the day, we are responsible for how we navigate these systems and we're responsible for how we want to change these systems. Yeah. So how do you, how do I show up every day in my full humanity, taking responsibility, managing my expectations, managing my expectations and the energy I put out into the world, like whether it's just for me in my own life, or if it's for an entire kind of industry or a workplace, like it all matters. And so the, the, the being able to shift my focus of attention from out there to, mm-hmm. to in here yeah. was huge, huge for me. And so I think even the shift in here makes me ask the question, how do I want to be a part of shifting an industry 
of making things better. Yeah, um, start with the self. So it starts with self. And so mm-hmm. I'm not I agree that it's not about self-care. Right. It is about self-responsibility. Ooh. That's good. So I've got some takeaways from some powerful takeaways that have emerged organically from our conversation. And one is burnout is not just a work crisis. It's a soul crisis. Mm -hmm. I like that. And what did you just say? I just said a lot. (laughs) Well, the idea of radical responsibility, I think. Yeah, we are. Radical responsibility is the realization that I'm not responsible for what happened to me, but I am responsible for how I integrate it and move forward. Wow. And that, yeah, that's excellent. And then also this idea that there are at least a couple of ways to learn. Let's say there are two ways that you really can learn from what life does with you. And one is through pain and one is through insight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that often the insights arrive for us and to us from the painful experiences. Yeah, most of us are so freaking stubborn <laughs> that we got to we got to go through some pain. No, we just for do. sure. Um, and the insight usually follows. Um, I'd like to get to a point in my life where I can just get to the insight <laughs> <laughs> and not have to endure pain. Well, that's what some coaches are for too. That's true. Right? They do help. Uh, and uh, of course, finding a sense of community and belonging uh, in your workplace uh, and with your social relationships can help as well. I, I want to leave everybody with a question, if I may. I love it. This is the, the final reflection question to take with you through your day. Okay. What is happening in your life right now that is asking you to reorder? What is emerging for you in your life that is begging you to reevaluate, reassess, and reorder something. That's beautiful. And I think if you sit with that question and you look at where the friction is in your life, you'll get to an answer. Um, And then it becomes the work of like really looking at what are those habits underneath that? What am I afraid of? What's the fear that supports this? What, What would that shift look like? How do I rebuild, reset my life in a, in a different trajectory? Once it's reordered, what would be different? And so those are just some takeaways for you to think about through your day. A little bit of a coaching call right here. Thanks for sharing uh, with such uh, openness, candor, vulnerability. I think I'll always cry here. about this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think you'll move <laughs> Maybe through Maybe someday. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. 